Listen, nobody is going to demand their money back because their gun isn't standard issue. Nobody cares. They're watching Alex. Well, that's true, Trevor, but it's not entirely the point. Now, if Officer Shanky wants Skanky. to... If John Skanky... Don Skanky, that's with a D. Whatever! Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode. A Forever Night episode. Forever Night Season 2, Episode 17, Amateur Night. I can tell Matt's excited to talk about this one because he was hiding his face for half the episode. I hid my face and said, we can skip this one, right? He's like, we don't. It's good. We can just. Um, This doesn't bode well for the fix. I just want you to know that. But I'm looking forward to it so much more now. Maybe the fix will be a solo episode. <laughs> just me. <laughs> just me talking. I'll have to bring in a guest. I'll just run away. Sorry, Matt passed out from embarrassment 15 minutes into the episode. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've had to bring in a guest who does not suffer from debilitating secondhand embarrassment. Maybe it's because you're a twin. Maybe it makes it easy for you to empath- empathetically feel for another person as if they are also you. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe uh, I'm just an empathetic person. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, before we get started. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And this is... Come in, 81 Kilo. Forever Night podcast. Woohoo, we did. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I shouldn't have to celebrate, but I did. And celebrate I do. the small wins. But it's true, because then you get to celebrate lots of things. I'm cleaning Chip out of my cheek just a second. I don't want that to be sitting in there while I'm talking the whole time. So the other day we were talking about the Dune miniseries, which we're going to be releasing episodes about our Dune deep dive periodically on our Strange and Beautiful book club feed. So If you don't already follow that and you like Dune, hop on over there. I'm about to release part three of the book. But eventually we're going to be talking about the sci-fi miniseries because we've already recorded a couple episodes about that. And we were talking about how um, it was written or, oh, the budget. The budget was $10,000 a pound of cocaine. And like, best of luck, you're going to get this figured out. Um, I really feel like that's how last episode script and this episode script were written. Of Forever Night. Yeah. 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 Here's $10,000 and a pound of cocaine. And a pack of cigarettes. Try to tackle some social issues. Here you go. Because, goddamn, if we don't double down on our problematic representation of marginalized groups by once again problematically representing (laughs) marginalized groups. They were like, remember how we made homeless people like caricatures of homeless people? What if, and I'm just fucking spitballing here. We do the same thing to gang members. Think we can handle that? <laughs> and they were like, okay. And then one of them, I don't know, read a book. How did they figure out how to... I, I don't even know. I don't know because... I'm not, 
I'm not even sure how we're going to talk about this in like a 2023 sensitive way because we have characters like, okay, so Forever Night doesn't have a ton of people of color on the regular cast. Right. We have Cohen and dot, dot, dot. Every once in a while we bring somebody in, but they're not a regular character. And so, okay, fine, we bring some in this time, but every single person of color we talk to is a gang member. You know they're gang members because they're wearing flannel. They have sideways hats. Bandanas galore. (laughs) Bandanas. And, like, tattered jeans. And they all have a way of speaking, um, which we now refer to as... um, AA, what's the full acronym? Uh, African American Vernacular English. Yeah, AAVE. Or what we as children knew as and should not be known as anymore. I'm going to say it Ebonics. The like speech typically associated with individuals of both this socioeconomic level and this minority group. I just, hang on. I'm trying to like, this is, I'm trying to tiptoe my way through this. This is a sensitive topic. I'm trying to tiptoe my way through this because here's where we get into some, yes, we can put our context lenses on, but it still makes it a little bit, it's still kind of painful to watch. It's still cringy. It's still cringy. Yeah. But we're just going to talk about it as a television show that was filmed in the nineties. If they had known better and did this anyway, I'd be madder. But I think I've told you about, there's that episode of seventh heaven where the girl's in a gang and they know she's in a gang because she has a studded belt and she starts wearing flannel. (laughs) And they like pull up her mat. She's like, I have something to tell you. I'm in a gang. But it's like, it's the love interest from the first version of Roswell. Oh. Yeah. And she's the gang member. She's like okay. the whitest white girl, like whoever whited. And somehow she's the gang member. And you know that, again, because she has a studded belt and the and the flannel. Mm-hmm. But also because like under her bed are like spiked clubs and handcuffs and just like the <laughs> most stereotypical bullshit. Uh, so this is not unusual. We're probably going to come up against this situation again where it's difficult to talk about. Um, I know we're going to hit it when we get to the Native American mysticism episode. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, we get another one of those? We haven't gotten one yet. Mm. Oh, I guess not actual Native American no, we just supernatural had stone stuff. Tree. We just had stone tree. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just realized every single captain is not white. Stone Tree is okay. Native, Cohen is Asian, and then we get Blue Man Kuma, um, Reese, yeah, who's our third captain. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, look at that. We all learned something just <laughs> now. <laughs> well, anyway, well, the, of course, we're talking about our cold opening, because our cold opening is a drive-by shooting um, near At a, playground. a playground. And yes, some individuals in flannel shirts get shot. But also a six-year-old girl named Shanice Cornell is shot and killed on this playground. And then we go into the intro. And that's our cold open. Very similar to the cold open last time, which was just a murder. The murder we're going to be investigating. Yep. Kind of hearkening back to the way that the cold openings were all done in season one. Where it was just the murder. 
or someone finding the body or whatever. It was the right. setup for the investigation. And this reminded me of, so we went to college. Okay, we're American. I think everybody's probably figured that out by now. So we have a complicated relationship with guns, as everyone has also probably figured out by now. And we went to college in this place where the campus itself is considered one of the safest, safest campuses, campuses in the college system that we were in. Yeah. But the town that it was in was like, so it's in a county in our state where there is a, or was, a 60% illiteracy rate. 60% of adults in that county were illiterate. Yeah, they could not read or write. And it was an extremely economically depressed area. And gun violence was common. So we were actually walking back to our dorm one day. and Or was it just me? And we heard a drive-by shooting? I think we were in your your dorm that you shared with like I was walking. Okay. Because they were driving by the, on the road adjacent there wasn't to where just I was walking. One. But nobody shot into the campus. So I didn't even. I was like, oh. Oh, look at that. Fireworks or something? No, I, I knew it was a drive-by okay. shooting, but I didn't... It was background noise. Yeah. It happened a lot. This is what... I, unfortunately, gun violence is extremely common in the country in which we live. And so it's interesting to see it tackled like this, as like a, ooh, this is a novel, horrible thing that's happened, and we're all worked up about it. This probably happens. What has there been? There's been a school shooting at least every day. On average, I think there's been almost two school shootings every day. This year. This year. Yeah. The leading cause of death in the United States. For children. For children. Accidental death. The leading cause of accidental death for children in the United States is guns. guns. So anyway, just want to put that out there. This is where we're coming from perspective wise. When this intro starts. So we'll try to keep it light from here on out. But I just wanted to point out that, like, this is a real issue. It's an ongoing issue. It's definitely something to think about. So then we get Cohen is calling Nick at home. And, of course, Nick's in his thinking robe. And of he's, course. Of course. Because when he's at home, he just puts it's, on his dressing it's robe. I, I don't even think it's dusk. I think it's in the middle of the day. Okay, he's just up in the middle of the I day. Think, well, I think Cohen called him. Oh, and woke him up. And woke him up. And then he's sitting at the table, and there's like a melted candelabra. Does he light the candles when he comes home? There's always candles lit everywhere. He's like, hang on, I can't have a real conversation. Let me light my candelabras. I think best by candlelight. <laughs> maybe, maybe he enjoys the softer light of a candle. The warmer tones. Yeah, the, they're more alive. Then the cold, harsh reality of, of fluorescence. I guess when your body is cold and still, <laughs> a flickering flame adds a certain something that, that you so don't fucking, get. We peaked. That was so poetic. <laughs> Maybe when your body is cold and still, <laughs> the light of a candle makes you feel alive. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I don't know. And he's talking to Cohen, which... Considering he works the night shift and her calling him during the middle of the day is the equivalent of calling another cop during the middle of the night. Because that's technically when he's resting. Right. And she's just casually discussing this thing. It's yeah. not, I urgently need your input on this. Yeah. It's okay. When you come in, here's what you're going to be doing, you know, in four hours when your shift starts. And he's like, great. Thanks. At plot Cohen. hook. 
It's too bad Skanky won't be there. Yeah, I know. It's, oh, man, too bad Skanky's gone. We could really use his knowledge of the gangs on this. Huh? What is Skanky oh. doing? Oh, that's so weird. And then Natalie appears. And she's carrying a box of, I guess, donuts, a, a giant pastries, croissant. and a croissant, <laughs> which she proceeds to tear apart and not eat even a little bit while she's talking to Nick. Well, you know they did multiple takes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you can't eat the croissant each time. <laughs> I, read, <laughs> I read a story about uh, an actor. Who was it? Um, there was a scene in a movie where they had to eat a hamburger. Yeah. And they had to eat the entire hamburger during that scene. And over like two days of like attempts at shooting this scene, they ate like 30 hamburgers. <laughs> and they had the option to like just pretend or have a fake hamburger or something or yeah. just, you know, take a couple bites and spit out the rest or whatever. They're like, no, I'm going to eat every single hamburger. <laughs> this needs to be real. It's authentic. <laughs> I was watching a thing about Henry Cavill during his, like, he had that shirtless scene in Man of Steel. Oh, we, yeah. We all know the shirtless scene in Man of Steel. So he had to do, like, a long cut before that to, like, get the Yeah, they do a long definition. cut, and then you do a three- to four-day, um, like, dehydration. Right. And he said when he got done filming that, he ate an entire pizza an entire tub of ice cream and like one other huge thing. And then he just passed out. He was like, I shit you not. It was the best meal I have ever had in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> this is why I couldn't be an actor like that. I'd be like, I'm sorry. It's just not worth it. I need food. But anyway, Natalie is there because she just had to do an autopsy on a six-year-old girl who was killed in a completely random act of violence. And she's stressed about it. She should be stressed about it. Of course she's stressed about it. And she wants to vent to Nick that this is happening more frequently. This is the kind of stuff that never used to happen. And it's children killing children. We have eight-year-old gang members. And they don't even know what life is, much less what it means to take a life. And is that our fault? Did we not teach them? And Nick is just staring at her. And finally she goes... I know, I know. It's just the way things are. Twelve to die in a drive-by in the last six months. That stuff never used to happen around here. Yeah, I know. I mean, these killers are just children themselves. Now we have eight-year-old gang members killing each other. They have absolutely no concept of what it means to destroy life. They, they have no concept of life. And that's got to be our fault. How, how did we forget to teach them about that? I know. I know. That's just the way things are. Right. She she speaks his side of the conversation. Right. And Nick's like, hmm. He just softens his face like, yeah. Like, wow, Nick, you could have had some words of you have a lot of words. You have a lot of faith in humanity here. I mean, that's what this whole this whole uh, this is what the TV shows about. Like, I'm pretty sure that's the that's the thing. <laughs> you could have just said, yeah, it sucks, but not that's not everybody or maybe it's not forever or we're working on it or you know something anything literally anything but he's just like mm, i don't know tale is old as time i we're, guess we're gonna get this one though natalie yeah 
oh, you know, when I was younger, kids didn't live that long. They just died of the plague. <laughs> At least they live long enough to get killed by gun when, violence Women now. lived to the ripe old age of childbirth. Of childbirth, exactly. Oh, you know, the good old days. <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. And then she segues. She's like, okay, fine. I, I got my thing out. I tore my croissant up. It was almost as good as eating it. I feel a lot better now. And she goes, is Skanky going to be okay? Like, do we think he's going to be okay? And Nick Yet goes... Another seed planted yeah nick goes i have no idea and then we cut to a scene <laughs> a drug <laughs> deal in an alley and skanky very awkwardly hiding behind a pallet <laughs> matt was like unconvincingly <laughs> matt was like what is he doing he's not really hidden behind is he hiding behind a pallet I'm just <laughs> <laughs> and then and then uh the lady came out yeah the lady comes out and matt's Alex, like uh what is Logan. happening? Logan. Yeah, you passed pretty quickly, though. You I was like, like oh, oh, he's on a film a set. Film. Yeah. Yeah, because she's like, freeze, motherfuckers. And then she just starts shooting them with her gun. <laughs> <laughs> is that a kilo in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> that line. That's what she I knew. <laughs> Matt was like, oh. Oh, this oh. is a corny cop This thing. is another exploration of Skanky's long, ongoing subplot which is that he would love to be an actor, which I think is hysterical because objectively speaking, he's the most successful person on the show. Yes. Because he was in The Breakfast Club. He was in lots of things. And now this is his one like long running role, but he goes on to continue being in oh, things. Oh, yeah. He's for, in like, so many things. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had like, as soon as they have their firefight, Skanky jumps up and he's like, cut, cut. Listen, nobody is going to demand their money back because their gun is in standard issue. Nobody cares. They're watching Alex. Well, that's true, Trevor, but it's not entirely the point. Now, if Officer Shanky wants Skanky. to... If John Skanky... John Skanky, that's with a D. Whatever. If he says it's not real, I want it changed. Alex, I've got five more pages to shoot before I lose my... We'll sit down with um, the detective The detective tonight, and we'll make all the fixes you will find. Trevor, we do the movie right, or I'm not in it. Now, I want real. I want grit. And then we pan, <laughs> and we kind of turn and see the, uh, the director. The director and the and camera. And they're like, fucking what? And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Didn't you want me to? Do you, do you want this to be authentic? Because that's not, that's not authentic. I mean, she's got a pearl-handed, pearl-handled howitzer. That's her gun. And he's like, this is ridiculous. This is not how this would go down at all. And they're like, look, you were brought on to be a consultant, but I will kick you off this set. And he's like, well, don't you want, don't you want me to tell you? Like, is, aren't I here to help you? I mean, like, cops are supposed to reduce violence, not just, like, go for it. And then he's talking right. to the director and Alex, and he says, this dialogue reads like it was written by a white guy in the suburbs. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex is like, well, what do you mean? Is that a... I wonder if that's a meta comment. This whole about... episode is meta. Did <laughs> yeah. you not pick that up? This is the meta episode. <laughs> yes, where we're talking about the importance of authentic representation of what police do in the media because it helps people to understand what police go through. And when you over-dramatize it, or you make one of them maybe a, Maybe this was the writer's response to the producers, like really pushing them to write 
More action. More action. Like, yeah. we need a gang episode. Yeah. And they're like, uh, this is, this is Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they have gangs. <laughs> well, right, but... Would the would the like membership <laughs> of the gangs look the way that it's represented in this show in this episode? This is not real no. life. No. No. no, no. The only re- the only realistic representation we even strive for remotely is that Skanky is actually a pretty good cop. He's in the ballpark. He bought tickets and he's sitting in the seats. Is he on the field? Not every week. <laughs> But Nick is <laughs> Nick doesn't even attend. Okay, so it's, it's like just just fucking roll with it. Okay, but Nick, Nick says he was he listens to the game on the radio, but he's actually listening to Lacroix. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And my favorite line, other favorite line in this scene is um, Alex is arguing about the script, and the director's like, "You approved it," and she she goes, "I wanted street." <laughs> I wanted it real. I wanted grit. I wanted like authenticity. And Skanky's like, um, yeah, that's it's not authentic. And so she goes after the director. She was like, I was assured that I was going to have like a realistic movie. I was finally going to make an action movie that people can respect. And Officer Shank here, and he's like, oh, that's Skanky. She's like, John here. And he goes, no, it's Don, Don, Detective Don Skanky. And she's like, whatever. <laughs> if he says it's not real, it's not real. And then she gets an idea. And this is when she kind of cozy ups to Skanky and she's like, I have an idea. If you're like a real cop or whatever, maybe we could hang out and you could show me what it's like to be a real cop. And I think a a little Easter egg here I wanted to point out is her like she's wearing a beat cop uniform. So Mm -hmm. her precinct number is on her collar. Yeah. And her precinct number is 69. (laughs) They are in precinct precinct. 96 so it's just an inverse it's not what you thought i saw that look it's the inverse (laughs) of the 96th precinct gotcha but it turns out nick is or not nick skanky is technically on vacation but he's moonlighting as a technical consultant because there's a lot of things being filmed in toronto right now and he's you know working as a um like a consultant and so he goes to nick and Nick is like, oh, sup, Skanky. I thought you were still on vacation. He's like, well, I am. Um, But are you working on that gang thing? And Nick is like, yeah, we put together a task force. And then he paused for a minute. And he's like, fucking no. no. Drive-by thing, right? Yeah, we put a team together on it. No way. Come on, Nick. Skank, she's an actress. Actor. It's the 90s. Actor, actress. I mean, one man band. What's the difference? She is not trained in police work. She's an amateur. <laughs> And Skanky's like, come on, we just had a breakthrough in therapy. I thought you were going to listen when I spoke. (laughs) (laughs) And Nick is like, no, Skanky, no, no, no. You remember what happened last time? Do you remember? (laughs) The lady filmed me while I was flying around, and then I tried to make her forget it, and it didn't work, and then two dudes with walrus tusks showed up (laughs) and chased me around a building. (laughs) And I ended up having to hand them tapes and then hypnotize the lady into forgetting. It was a whole thing. I almost died. I had to remember the Civil War. I almost had to flee and (laughs) start over again. No, they were going to kill him, remember? They were going to kill him? Yeah, they were going to kill him. Uh, I guess I... Maybe we need to rewatch that episode. (laughs) 
on reality TV, in case anybody wants to know what that one is. Um, he's like, that must all flash through his head all at once because he's like, mm-mm, not again. And he's like, come on, Nick, work with me. And Nick's like, no, I'm not going to let an actress ride around in the car with me. And Skanky goes, actor, it's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, that, that's an interesting... Yeah. Interest. Oh, oh, we're going to quibble. Uh, we're going to quibble about the political correctness no, of that. Okay, it's a noteworthy yeah. shift in Skanky's role. Yeah, for him to correct Nick on the right words to use. Yeah, because usually it's the other way around. The other way around. And you would have originals. <laughs> that one. Yeah. yeah. And Nick is like actress, actor, whatever. The answer is still fucking no. And it's so traumatic, of course, that it just whoops him back into a flashback. <laughs> he remembers that time. He was an amateur. <laughs> and I love his little Scottish accent. <laughs> it's good. It's actually not bad. It's yeah, good. It's, it's good. He does a good job. My favorite part later is when he, when LaCroix from Internal Investigation shows up <laughs> and he just drops the Scottish accent immediately. <laughs> He's like, fucking what? But we're not there yet. So... This is hysterical because he's at the precinct, which is almost like bitterly obvious. This is the same set, but in sepia tone where he's. Yeah, like but the last time. But it's Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And so he showed up and he's trying to get his, a place on the Chicago police force. And this guy's like, sorry, no, everyone who works for me has to go through the academy. And he's like. You don't need to see my academy identification. He's like, I don't need to see your academy identification. He's like, you'll find I passed all of my equivalency tests. And he's like, oh, yes, I see here. You passed all of your equivalency tests. We'll come back next week. We'll try to find a place for you. He's like, I'm starting tomorrow. He's like, oh, you're starting tomorrow. I'm, I want to work the night shift. I want to work the night shift. Oh, you actually want to work the night shift? Great. I usually have to, like, get people to do that. Sweet. And Nick is like, Yes. I did it. I'm, I'm doing so good at this. This is how you ace a job interview? I don't know why humans get so mad at this. It's so easy. <laughs> what? Like it's hard? <laughs> what, like I know what? Like it's hard? And then, yeah. So Skanky is trying to convince Nick still. and he, Nick is like, please just stop pushing me. And Skanky's like, come on. You know I know the gangs better than you. I'll help you out. We'll just work as partners on this. You're going to get farther along in your investigation. I'm going to get to show Alex Logan what real police work looks like. It's a win-win situation. And Nick's like, if I say yes, will you stop? And Skanky keeps going. And then he's like, oh, yeah, actually, yes. I hear what you're saying. I will stop. Please, let's just let her ride along with us one time. And so... He does. They put her in the car, which is like some kind of standard issue car. It's not Nick's it's, car. Yeah, it's not Nick's car. It can't be because... He, he made that mistake with Unreality TV. Right. He, like, he was stealthy in his little Cadillac. Not at all. So he takes a very generic... They're in a very generic car. But they're waiting, apparently for a long time, because Alex is like, how long are we going to wait? And they're like, sorry, but this is Skanky real time? Skanky knows something's going to go down well, she wants to know where are the other men? Are they on the rooftops? And oh, yeah, the backup. Like, what other men? They're like, your backup. He's like, backup for what? This is just a meeting. <laughs> and then Nick is trying to talk to her. And he's like, Miss Logan? She goes, Alex, please. And he goes, Miss Logan? <laughs> like, I don't like you. I'm not making this any more familiar than I need to. Right, because she's trying to ask him questions and is ignoring Skanky. And Nick keeps 
redirecting her back to Skanky. Like, I don't know. Why don't you ask Skanky? And she's like, I wanted to ask you because you're the man of action. You're, you're the hot one. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm talking to the hot one. And Nick is like, no, you want to talk to Skanky. Like, if you want to know what a good police officer, you want to talk to Skanky. Skanky's literally, literally a better cop than me. Right. And he must be really unengaged in this conversation because he takes the time to remember meeting his partner in Chicago. And his Chicago police partner keeps calling him rookie. And he's like, what's the most important weapon on the streets? Because <laughs> he's talking about being a beat cop. And Nick is like, uh, my gun. And he's like, oh, that obsolete piece of machinery. <laughs> That's not it. I thought he was going to say, your mind. <laughs> no, no, no. Your Close. eyes. Your Close. eyes. Yes. And he's like, every car is a story. And that person in the car is a story within a story. <laughs> <laughs> trick is to know what stories matter <laughs> nick is like oh what stories have uh trouble yeah isn't there a word for this there's a word for this like every person that you interact with who feels like a background character in your life it's is... called sonder yeah it's they are... the realization that everybody else ha is experiencing the world the same way you do from you know first person perspective and yeah you know, you see them, they are just a background character in your story, but to You're, them, you are a background character in, in their, their story. story. Yes. And then Nick gets his Spidey Sense moment where he's like, what? And he goes, they're here. <laughs> Alex is like, what? But Skanky does not even break stride. He's like, cool. And he just hops out. And then we see like Nike high tops walking across the gravel. <laughs> <laughs> and this we, we see We see a whole... Like, herd of problematic <laughs> representation. Oh, God. You thought the first part of this was bad? Oh, my God. Here we go again. Except that this entire gang is of Asian origin. And so they're like, we don't need no guns. We don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know us. We don't use guns. We don't need no guns. And so Skanky's like, oh, yeah, you guys all have that kung fu. <laughs> you know us, Skanky. We don't like guns. We don't need no guns. All right, yeah, you're from the Kung Fu, Taekwondo, Shuck and Jive School, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? What? I'm pretty sure even in the 90s, it should not have been okay to be like, well, you can tell that this gang doesn't use guns and that they all know Kung Fu because they all look Asian and Asian people are just born knowing that shit. Well, Skanky knows what gang they are. Yeah. And he's, he I worked... Know, but yeah, you get where I'm going with this. What what the actual fuck? We it, didn't need to include that. They could have just been like, it wasn't us. We know it wasn't us. Yeah. That's not our style. We didn't need to be like, yeah, because we all know Kung Fu. Kiki's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then they, they tell him it's a B-dog thing. Another gang. Another gang. And then shooting breaks out. Because, of course, we've seen some more skanky, some more Nike high tops. Skanky and Nike cut. Like, anyway. Um, we see some more Nike high tops that we don't recognize coming in oh. from the side. And Nick actually hears it. He's like, what's that? But he doesn't, I don't know. Maybe he thinks it's another gang member. Whatever. Shooting breaks out. And they, like, skanky bundles up Alex and runs her back to the car. And Nick jumps in and ends up starting he the car like and dives. taking off. <laughs> yeah, straight sideways. <laughs> yeah. 
and he, as they're driving off, puts the siren on the roof, and then they take off in pursuit of this van. And they end up losing the van. And as they're stopped, Alex is like, oh, my God, that was the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. That was terrific. And both Skanky and Nick are like, oh, what? Oh, you liked the part where we got shot at? And then we had to chase it. What? This is our first indication that maybe Alex is a little detached from Her reality. Her expectations are not uh, aligned with reality what actually happens right she's she doesn't realize that this is real life that this she's out of touch with the fact that she could have just died is this the part where skanky tells her that there's no writer or no that's later that's later later. because now we go back to the precinct and cohen has nick and skanky in her office and she goes what the hell is wrong with you Direct quote. I didn't make that one up. Sometimes I add the F word for extra spice. You paraphrase. But but this one is is literally what she says. She goes, what the hell is wrong with you? You should know better. You both should know better. I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. I'm so fucking disappointed right now. (laughs) She's just like, skanky, you need to be on a beach or something. Nick, you knew better. I cannot believe She's like, I feel like I'm talking to a couple of rookies. This is the ki- this is the kind of amateur mistake I would expect from people who don't fucking know what they're doing. Not you two. And Nick's like, Nick gets triggered. Nick's like, and well, remembers about his rookie experience. Not yet, not quite yet, <laughs> not quite yet, because um, Skanky ends up saying, you know, like we did figure something out. Like it wasn't a complete waste. And she's like, oh yeah, what? And he said, well, all the cops, all the all the gangs are blaming each other you know b-dogs think think no i don't know because we don't know what the gang that they met's name is no the kung fu crew i don't know that was terrible i'm so sorry the (laughs) (laughs) the parking lot gang and the b-dogs are all blaming each other hold on the kfc (laughs) did you really call them kfc (laughs) why did you make it worse (laughs) But they got sorry. But they're all blaming each other. Oh my god. Hang on. And so she's like, Skanky, you need to just go. Go back on vacation. Leave. Don't go back to the film set. I don't want to see Alex Logan here ever again. You need to get the fuck out. And Nick is like, he raises his hand tentatively. And he's like, actually, Captain, it would be really useful to have Skanky around because he does know the gangs better than I do. Like, I can help you, but I'm not going to be as effective at helping you as Skanky. And if this, if we're going to avoid what could turn into a gang war and have more unintended um, victims, then I think we need to handle this quickly. And to do that, I need Skanky. And I think he's trying to avoid giving Cohen time to stew about Skanky's mistake. Like, let's go ahead and redirect that energy into Skanky's going to help me. He's going to get this done. Instead of, let's have seven days of Cohen being like, I can't fucking believe Skanky did that. I can't believe he did that. And I think he's trying to keep Skanky busy so that he spends less time with the filming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And Cohen concludes with, yeah, and Alex Logan, that shit's done with. School's out. Tell her to go home. We're done. We're done with her. And this is when he has his flashback. Because they're walking in an alley and we see like a Mustang 
and they're talking and his partner is like, really your eyes, your observational skills are the best possible thing you could have to see a thing and not just accept it at face value, but to wonder about it. Like a car where it shouldn't be or a man in cheap shoes or in cheap suit with a hundred dollar shoes. And that's where the real work happens on the beat. And so they're walking and they see a busboy throwing away trash. And the guy's like, okay, what strikes you as wrong about this? And Nick's like, um, I don't know. He's just a busboy throwing away trash. And he's like, oh, yeah, he spends his whole day around trash. You think he's going to linger out here like this? And he's like, oh, he's the lookout. He's the lookout for a robbery in progress. And his partner's like, got it one. I'm going to go run and get back up. You just sit here and don't do anything. Just keep an eye on him. And as soon as his partner is gone, Nick is like, I could probably get shot. Well, then the, the thief comes out. Yeah. And they're getting away. Right. So he ends up stepping out because he's like, well, I can take some risks with my own life because I can get shot like a bunch right. and be okay. So he's like, police freeze. And so they shoot him and he shoots them he's back. He's like, I ain't even bothered. But then his partner runs up behind him because he hears gunfire and his partner gets shot. So Nick's actions caused harm to his partner. Yep. Yep. And he feels bad. Forever, apparently, because he still remembers it. So then they come back, and Alex is at Nick's apartment. And we hear, so what do I owe the honor of this visit? And Alex has really come to be like, listen, it's really important to me that I make this happen, that I make this movie realistic, that I make something worth something. And I'm not going to let you guys stand in my way. So you either cooperate with me or I force your cooperation. And she says, I want to make something serious. She and says, Nick, I want to make something I can be proud of. Right. I want to make something actually serious. And Nick goes, then you should probably take Skanky seriously. I do something important, something to be proud of. I take my work very seriously, just like you. Then why don't you take Skanky seriously? He's a real cop. And then he actually goes back into another flashback. And this is when he's sitting in his chair because... He's expecting to get reprimanded for what happened. And he hears somebody come in and it's like, ah, this is LaCroix from Internal Investigations. <laughs> what are you doing here? And so he's, he stands up and turns around and he's like, oh, yes, sorry, sir. <laughs> he stands up and turns around and, of course, it's LaCroix. And LaCroix's like, it me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, LaCroix. Got here. you. <laughs> And he's and like, the, what are the you? the smile. Right. The smile. I yeah. know. Nigel and then Bennett nailed the LaCroix this smile. This little interaction is gold. Just gold. Because Nick immediately drops the fake Scottish accent. And he's like, LaCroix, what are you doing here? And LaCroix goes, oh, you know the usual. Making your life a living hell. <laughs> and he's like, it already is hell. <laughs> <laughs> and LaCroix says, you say that like it's a bad thing. And Nick is like, well, my partner nearly died. And LaCroix goes... He may yet die. He may yet die. <laughs> like, you may yet have gotten him killed. Don't count your chickens yet. They may still hatch. LaCroix, internal affairs. You must be Constable Knight. Absolutely, sir. Nicholas Knight. What are you doing here? Oh, the usual, making your life a living hell. It already is. You say that as if it's a bad thing. 
I'm responsible for nearly having my partner killed. He may yet die. Thanks. Oh, Nicholas, he's only a mortal. <laughs> and they end up having a brief discussion, the, the gist of which is the source of all of Nick's problems is that he doesn't fundamentally believe he is different. He thinks he is a person that has had this different thing inflicted on him. But he has never embraced the fact that he is now fundamentally different than everyone around him. And the reason he's never at peace, the reason he lives in a permanent hell, is because he will not accept the fact that he is different and, in Lacroix's opinion, better. Exceptional. Exceptional. That he doesn't require the police academy. If he wants to be a police officer, just fucking be a police officer. You are going to be better at it than everyone around you because of what you are. You do not require, you do not have to move through the world in the way a human moves through the world because you are not human. And you are a fish trying to live on land. And that's why it hurts to breathe. If you just lived in the water where you're supposed to, no problems. And Nick is like, I hear what you're saying, but I don't fucking care. Leave me the fuck alone. And then we come back. Because Alex Logan is still talking to him. And Nick is like, listen, this isn't a field trip. This isn't a school, a school trip to learn something new and fun. It's a murder investigation. Somebody died. And we're trying to solve the murder. And Alex is like, yeah, okay, great. But I already talked to the mayor. Turns out he's a really big fan. Hmm, how about hmm. that? Yeah. Guess I'm going to be back in the precinct because Cohen cannot stop me. And Nick. You're going to be ordered to cooperate yes, with if me. If you won't cooperate with me voluntarily, you will be ordered to cooperate with me. I'm almost positive the mayor shouldn't have the power to force the police to allow an actor to work on a murder investigation. Right. My thought was uh, Nick is like the worst person the worst choice to order them to do something that they like explicitly do not want to do because nick literally has nothing to lose if he just walks away he'd be like oh oh you're ordering me to let this person come with me while i'm doing my job well as i explained before i can't do my job correctly if this person's here Right. So, uh, fuck off. Here's my badge <laughs> and my gun. Guess you'll have to find somebody else to do my job. He would not do that specifically because it would harm Skinky. Well, I was thinking more, I'm taking vacation. Oh. I'll be back in a week. Yeah. Yeah. Ironically, this is the plot of the entire series of Lucifer. <laughs> Because that's what Lucifer oh, does. Oh, yes, yes. He wants to work with Detective Chloe. And so he ends up getting permission to be a special, like... Special consultant. Special consultant with the LAPD. And that's the entire series. This doesn't play out quite like that, though. Because we come back to the precinct, and Skanky is doing his job. He is talking to a gang informant whose name is, and now stay with me here, Keys. And we know that because 
He has keys. <laughs> like a lot of keys. And I don't know it's why. It's a street name. I don't know why he's named Keys. He's named Keys because he has the keys. I'm joking. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Like, why, why would we call him Keys? <laughs> Is it because he's got a bunch of keys? <laughs> yeah. And he's like jingling them the entire time. That's what we did in Dark Knight. Remember, that's how we caught the bad guy. Nick was like, who wears keys on their belt and they jingle it? Oh, I think in the television show, he's just wearing keys on his belt. But in the pilot movie with Rick Springfield, he's like very aggressively whipping yeah. the keys. And you can see his shadow, his silhouette do that. Yeah. Well, anyway. So he's talking to Keys and Alex just walks in. There's a whole ass one-way mirror. You could stand in there. Nick's probably in there. You could have hung out with Nick. Sometimes Natalie's in there, too. But she comes into the interrogation room and pulls out a notebook. And Keyes is like, uh, what? Because he was just on the verge of giving him some pretty good information. He was like, look, killing the kid was a mistake. It was a renegade thing, and we're going to take care of it because we take care of our own business. And, and if we knew who it was... We'd have, this would already be resolved. Right. So, you know, clock's ticking. Once we figure it out, we're going to kill him unless you figure it out first and you arrest him. So best of luck, brother. And that's pretty much the end of the interview because Alex more or less, more or less interrupts the flow here. And so Keys dips. And Skanky is like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, sorry, but you guys have to give me full department cooperation. And Skanky is distraught because this is absolutely going to get blamed on him because he's the one who opened this door. And so he's expecting to get yelled at by Cohen. And she's like, well, who cares? She can't do anything to you. This is much more of her being out of touch, just being completely yeah. unaware of the effects of her actions. And she has this face facial expression, which this actress is doing a very good job. Of making this facial expression that is just like, I viscerally hate it. The like, mm-hmm, yakky, yakky, yak. You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm better connected than you. And I get to do whatever I want. She's probably the most unlikable character for most of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So as they're walking out, as they're walking out, Cohen calls Skanky over. Because, of course, Alex is here now. She needs to have another chat with Skanky. And Skanky's like, do you think the condemned man gets a last meal? <laughs> and Alex is like, oh, you're going to be fine. And as soon as he leaves her side, she's like, I can figure this out. I know how to talk to people. So she mm -hmm. follows keys. I'm, I'm good at being an actress. Yeah. Or I can, actor. I can, an actor. It's the 90s. <laughs> and she follows keys outside. And, and he notices immediately. Cut, right, because she's, quote, trailing him, whatever. So she follows him down this one road, and he turns around, and he's like, look, you can tell Skanky we're done. If you're going to compromise me like this, this isn't going to happen. And she's like, no, no, you know, I just know you know more than you said you knew, and I'm just, you know, we, we know that, uh, and he's like, okay, whatever, fine, like, you're 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 cute or whatever. I'll help you. Why don't you come back here later and I'll give you information. And yeah, she's like He'll have the killer. Yeah, oh, I'll bring the, the killer. Shooter. Yeah, I'll yeah. bring the shooter. You come back here at 6. I'll I'll bring the shooter. 
And she's like, yes, I'm so fucking good at this. <laughs> and then she leaves him. And Natalie brings in the coroner's report while Alex is out talking to Keys. And she gives it to Skanky and she's like, you know, it doesn't have anything enlightening. Sorry. Like, Shanice Cornell died of a drive-by. We knew that. But tell me, what's it like working with Alex? Which I love it when we pretend to gush about working with actors when they're all actors. Right. Right. Yeah. So meta. So meta. <laughs> it's so meta. And Skanky's like, oh, like it's a really painful subject right now. I can't really, I can't really talk about it. And this is when Alex comes in and she's she like. She kind of saunters in. And she's like, I got it. I figured out how the shooter is, who the shooter is. And Skanky's like, you fucking what? She's like, she's oh, like yeah. yeah. Like it's hard. Like it's hard. I like followed Keys and asked him and he said he was going to bring him. Like it's going to be great. And Cohen is like lurking behind a pillar. <laughs> she <c> <laughs> she's she's doing she's as stealthy as Alex. <laughs> she's as stealthy as Nick when he was creeping around the construction site in the last episode. <laughs> He's just standing around. And then she pops out from her quote hiding place and she goes, "What is she talking about? How does she know about keys?" And Skanky's like, "Oh my god. Okay, so she came into the interview room. It's a whole thing." And Cohen ends up saying, like, okay, I guess she got this meeting. We can't ignore a tip like that, but I want her to take backup. You go with her, and I want some officers with her, too. And then we kind of move to them doing that. They go to meet Keys in the evening, supposedly. And they walk around the alley briefly, and then Alex spots something behind, like, a pallet and some trash. And we know by the keys that it's keys because she compromised keys and got him killed. Womp, womp, womp. And I appreciate that nobody tried to like placate her by telling her, oh, it wasn't your fault. Yeah. Everyone's like, mm hmm. Yep. Mm hmm. It yeah, totally yeah. was. It's, it is a really tragic thing that happened because of you. Because of you. Because of you. Yeah. And she goes to Skanky to talk about it. And she's like, I just, you know, I, I felt like he knew more. I thought I could be of help. And Skanky's like, did it seem like this was a movie? Like he was a character? There's no writers here. There's no writers here. There's no actors here. There's no mushy, sappy, happy endings. And Alex says, but I, you know, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to actually be a cop. That's what I was trying to do. And then Skanky gets this really insightful rant, which I think gives us a lot of clues into Skanky's character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a Skanky background heavy episode. And this leads me to believe that Skanky is very good at self-introspection because he has some pretty good things to say about what it's like being an officer and dealing with the consequences of what happens to the people around you just because you're a cop. Because she asks him, how do you cope? How do you cope with this? With no, Because this has happened to you. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, barely. Barely. That's how we cope. And he said, a lot of cops don't. They get into a death spiral with the bottle. They sabotage their relationships. They go on the take. They can't handle it. No one said you did. I just, I, I thought he knew more than he was telling. He seemed like... Like someone in a movie? Alex, there's no writer here. There are no actors, no sweetness and light, happy, mushy endings, even when you know what you're doing. I just... 
I wanted to know what it was like, you know? I wanted to feel it. I, wa I wanted to get into the character. Be a cop. Be a cop. You know, I spent two years at the Academy, seven years on the beat, five years in homicide before I knew what I was doing. You know, Alex, you cannot presume to know what goes on inside our heads until you have lived our life. I killed that man, didn't I? How do you live with it? Barely. Believe me, a lot of cops can't. He says, you know, the people that do make it, the cops that stay good cops, they never stop learning. They never stop changing. They never stop trying to be a better person. They never forget why they became a cop in the first place. They keep sight of what it meant to be a police officer and the reason they went through the academy. Because he says, you know, I went to the academy for two years. I was on the street for like, I think he says seven years. Yeah. And then I've been a detective for like five years. And that was just before. That was just how long it took for him to feel like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. And I think we've had a shift in the last couple of episodes where both Nick and Skanky have more, like, wise moments. Yeah. We have flipped the depth switch a little bit, and we've changed from external motivated action to internal motivated action. Like, Skanky wants her to have a better, uh, like, a better cop show. Not necessarily because he wants to be on it, but because it's important for people to see what they do. It's important for people to have a realistic idea of what cops go through. He wants the media to have an accurate representation of a particular group. Yes. Ironically. <laughs> of of cops please note that i specifically <laughs> stated cops in this and so skanky ends up coming back and talking to nick a little bit because he sends alex off he's like we're gonna take you back to your hotel room she goes no i think i'd rather walk and he's like sorry no if they knew who keys was they know who you are and they're gonna come after you too and so he calls a cop i mean they've just had a really big heart to heart and then he kind of rubs it in for her that she fucked up because he calls an officer over and he's like, take her back to her hotel and don't let her leave until we've got this figured out. See you later, Miss Logan. Bye. And I don't think you should come to the precinct anymore. And then he leaves. And then he goes back and he has kind of a conversation with Nick, which Nick is sympathetic. He's having a wise moment here because... Mm -hmm. Well, we just kind of had an episode about how, where they had it out. And in the way of bros, after they've aired all their grievances, now we're even better friends than right. we were before because we, we cut out the infection and now we can heal. And so he leans against the wall and he's like, Skanky, how's it going? You know, what's up? This is shitty. You're having a hard day, I can tell. And Skanky's like, I am. You know, I wanted to be an actor. Uh, my dad took me to Hollywood. I I wanted, I loved the glitz and the glamour. I wanted that life. And that's not the life I have. And sometimes I forget. But like, thanks for being with me on this. And I do like how we don't drop Skanky's like clout chasing. He's like, 
I want to be an actor. I want to be whatever. But we soften it. Like in on reality TV, it's very much played for laughs. Where it's supposed to be a reality show, but he's trying to script it or he's asking for multiple takes or whatever. It's a, a way of showing him as a ridiculous character. Right. Whereas this is like, no, he's a good dude who's trying to do the right thing, but he kind of also wanted to be an actor. And it's kind of sweet. It makes for a very sweet interaction. It makes for a sweet interaction between Skanky and Nick, too. Where they have this brief heart-to-heart. And Nick is like, you know what, Skanky? Head home. You know, you're tired. You've been here all day. I've got this now. You go. You just go relax. You know, we're going to get this figured out. And that's right when they find out that Logan has disappeared from the hotel. That's when Skanky says, is it possible to take caffeine intravenously? Because they didn't have energy drinks in the 90s. You just got to make do with caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. And we, of course, know where Alex is because we see her enter this, the soundstage. Which, she just needs some alone time. Yeah. Matt was like, that is a really big door. <laughs> oh, it's a soundstage. Oh, really stage. thick door. Yeah, yeah, really thick door. Our pod lab door. You would aspire for it to be that thick, I think. But it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And Nick and Skanky are immediately on the hunt trying to find her because, of course, she is a potential next victim. And Skanky ends up calling the associate director because he's calling everybody trying to figure out where she could be. And he tells them the only place she finds peace and happiness is in her changing room, her dressing room at the studio. And so they head that way. And in the meantime, our gang member appears. (laughs) And we know he's a gang member because he's wearing... Ratty jeans and a flannel shirt and a sideways hat. And this actor actually plays in Earth Final Conflict. He's the tech bro, the like tech buddy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Earth Final Conflict is another good 90s show. I think Tran from the Can't Run, Can't Hide episode. He's on that as well. Yes. And the lady who plays in Spin Doctor. She's also in Earth Final Conflict. Actually, I think we have almost every main cast character except the main character. um, Was Earth Final Conflict a Canadian show? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Early 90s television. Early 90s, like UPN, LPN, all of those, like just above basic cable um, television networks were like... A giant uh, rotisserie, rotating wheel of the same Canadian actors. It's like actors. British TV. Yeah. All, every actor is in every show yeah, at some point. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. But this guy appears. And instead of staying in her locked room, she goes out to find out who that could possibly be. Right. Uh, I just heard breaking glass. Yeah, I just... And, mm. and I was just warned that... I was probably seen with keys and if they went after keys, they're probably going to come after me too. So that means I should go figure out who this is. Yes. That's her thought process. Yeah. That's the exact thought process. In fact, Or maybe, maybe she didn't do the first part. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Poor choices. I don't think Alex is batting a hundred here. I don't think, I don't think we're playing with a full deck. I don't think somebody has all the crayons in the She box. sincerely wants to be a more respectable actor. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, 
our, quote, gang member has appeared. And Skanky and Nick arrive at the same time, and they end up blowing the door open with and gun. And I, I liked how they've portrayed this character, the the shooter, yeah, as someone who's not very good at shooting. Right. So then when we get here, we can see, oh, he's kind of like bumbling, incompetent. Right. Not, gang. Yes. But, wannabe. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, so Skanky blows the door open, and Nick looks around with his night vision, but there's too much shit. He can't see what's going on. And so we kind of have a little bit of, well, we want we run around a little bit. And then, of course, he catches her. The gang member catches Logan, Alex Logan, because she's hidden, but she, like, runs and pushes a thing, not towards him or anything. She just pushes it, and then he ends up grabbing her. And this is when Skanky, we have, like, a showdown with Skanky. Well, she does a decent job of using... Using her environment. Yeah. Because she turns on some flashing lights and then she turns on the external notification thing that there's filming going on inside. Right. Yes. And that's how they know she's in there and she's in trouble. Thank you. Yes. She does do that. So that is a very good idea. Would that switch not be right by the door? No, it'd, it'd be by the production equipment. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Because there's probably the whole point of this probably scene, that, like signal lights on other parts of the building. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, the whole point of this scene is to give us a glimpse into Skanky's competence. That's that's the whole purpose of why we're here. Because she gets captured by the guy, and Skanky shows up, pops up in front, and he has his gun out. And we're having kind of a standoff. Nixon behind, waiting waiting to see if Skanky can get this guy to talk talk down, talk him down, like we talked about at the very beginning of the episode when he said, actually, the whole the thing you want to do more is get the guy to put the gun away. Right. You don't want to use your gun. And he right. has, like, a talk down. He talks this guy down. He's like, oh, I get it. You wanted to be in the gang. They wouldn't let you because you're too green. So you decided killing a six-year-old child was going to prove that you were a bad guy. I thought so. So you staged a little demonstration, showed them you had the stuff. What it takes? Damn straight out of So you killed a six-year-old girl to prove it. That wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, well, that's what did happen, man. Your first taste of blood, did you feel like a god? Invincible? Shut up! Did you feel like the toughest guy in the world when you slaughtered little Shanice Cornell when she was skipping rope? Tell me, you feel awful about what you have done. Oh, but you can't. Because you're a tough guy. I didn't mean to. I didn't. And he's like, no, that was an accident. I didn't mean that. And he's like, mm, okay. Well, you, you killed somebody. Do you feel like a man now? Do you feel powerful? Oh, wait, but you can't admit that because... That would be weakness. Yeah. And you're a tough guy. You're a tough guy. Yeah, he calls him out on this toxic masculinity bullshit. Yep. I bet Skanky's not toxically masculine at home. Maybe a little. You think but so? More out of um, obliviousness. Mm. It's There's probably things that he just hasn't been like conditioned to be aware of. Yeah. Like Myra probably doesn't over-communicate things to him right. so they're just not in his awareness yeah and so there's things that 
like there's things that Myra probably like resents about like him not doing, but she probably doesn't communicate. And that's probably the extent of his. Maybe. Like problem behavior. Like we at don't home. ever know because we, we, we never see them at home. But he does call out his toxic masculinity. And we end up, he puts the gun down and they get the guy, they get the bad guy and nobody gets hurt. And Alex Logan is like. Paying attention. Yeah, she's like, I I thought you said there were no happy endings. And Skanky goes, I'm pretty sure Shanice Cornell's parents don't think this is a happy ending. Which uh, Skanky and Nick talk to the family zero. Right. Well, they have a task force. So probably somebody else has communicated with the yeah. family and Nick and Skanky are focusing on solving it. Solving yeah. the problem. We don't always talk to the family or that's done off screen or whatever. That's not something that they include ever unless the family, unless they have to talk to the family. Right. And I think they didn't, they didn't need to talk to the family because it was unrelated an accident. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have. It was collateral damage right. for an unrelated event. Yeah. They probably cleared them as suspects. So just let it go. Um, yeah. And then we kind of cut to derailed me. Oh, we go back to another flashback. And it's Hashtag Nick winning <laughs> and it's Nick and Nick's like, all right, I'm going to go to the Academy. And the guy goes, hold on. I'm talking about giving you a medal and you're talking about going back to the Academy. And he's like, you know, I think I have a lot to learn. <laughs> Can't do the accent. <laughs> he's like, I think I have a lot to learn. I think I need to go back to the Academy. And so now we know Nick has at least attended the Academy. Once at some point at some and point. Academy and somewhere. Academy somewhere. For I wonder it. if this is the same like police career that he's involved in when we get the like McCarthyism flashback. No, when we get the McCarthyism one, he is a, um, a professor of history. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. But we know he came from Chicago to Toronto. So he was in Chicago for a while, which that Mustang is like sixties. So we know this is probably around the sixties when he started this. And we know we came from Chicago because that's where Jeanette said he saw she saw him last. Um, the the Chicago beat cop setting was before radios. Yeah, but there's a '60s Mustang car that they walk by. Okay, but why don't they have radios? I don't know. I don't know. No, they wouldn't have had portable radios in the '60s. They had cell phones in like 1948. Not for like beat not for cops. commercial use, yeah. but remember they what have radios. No, no. But... Remember what just handheld, so, handheld phones like wireless phones looked like in like the eighties. They were like a brick. Yeah, that's a cell phone though. They had call. T they had call like places where the police could go and go to a call box and call for help. They wouldn't have necessarily. You, I don't even think you had the battery technology. Even if you had the communications technology, you wouldn't have had the portable battery size. I'm going off of the Mustang here, okay? The Mustang is clearly 60s. This happened in the 60s. And we know he was in Chicago previously because Jeanette tells him, I moved out of Chicago when they put lights at Wrigley Field. Or maybe mm -hmm. that's in the Brick Springfield. I don't know. I get those two completed. <laughs> regardless. The, the regardless. We know that he's gone to the police academy at some point. And so his p career, his police career, is roughly 30 years old, give or take. And that's, uh, no, police that's not. Police radios were introduced in the 1960s. See? Maybe he gave them a bunch of money and they were able to develop it because he's loaded. Maybe. Yeah. 
And then we have our wrap-up. Don't distract me from the wrap-up because it's the best part of the episode. We mirror our cold open. We start with a drug deal, except this drug deal is far more realistic as what we as a viewer expect to see as a drug deal. (laughs) Right. It's not a whole kilo. It's just a little baggy. It's a little baggy. The guy counts the money. They're wearing flannel shirts, so you know they're gang members. Hey! Yay! Um, Nobody's wearing a hat, but that's cool. We can forgive him that. And then um, Alex pops out of the side, and she, instead of immediately opening fire, she's like, Put freeze. down your weapons, freeze, you're under arrest. And her shirt is buttoned all the way up. And then she's like, oh, Grady, book him. <laughs> we see like a guy with a popped collar. <laughs> Just from behind. And they do a good job of hiding who this is. Like, Yeah, I didn't know who it was. Right. Matt's like, yeah. "What? what's happening? And then we see that it's Kenki. And he goes, line? Wait, what's my line? <laughs> line. And they're like, cut, cut, cut. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> I like this episode. This one is much more of a showcase for our characters than the previous episode because we got skanky. We didn't get as much Natalie and Cohen. But that's okay. Um, we just got a lot of like them doing their job. Right. There's a lot wow. of like introspection and dialogue yeah. in this episode. And we actually got very little Nick in this because Nick doesn't do any vampy stuff except for his night vision that he does when they first walk in. For the most part, Mm-mm. He's second. He very much pushes Skanky to the forefront for this. Um, probably because he's talking to someone who's capable of filming him, <laughs> but also just like he's trying to make sure Skanky is the one they stay focused on. Like Skanky's the good cop. Skanky knows what he's doing. If you really wanted to know what you were doing, if you really wanted to make this realistic, you should take Skanky seriously. He knows what he's talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's talking about, and he knows how to talk about it. Right. So stop, stop centering me here and center Skanky. Like, center, center my friend instead. And, and he... Nick just doesn't like it when um, prominent people in the media get curious about him. Right. Right. Well, for, for very good reason. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot else to talk about this. I think we were trying to talk about, like, the effects of violence the effects of um, becoming detached to the real implications of crime. Like, if you listen to too many true crime podcasts, do you get desensitized to the idea of murder? Or you not? would know. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay. <laughs> uh, maybe because I care too much about too many things. I don't know. That's just me personally. But I think that's what we're talking about. Like, what yeah. what is the drawback of having inaccurate representation? Well, it gives the viewer inaccurate expectations. And it allows them to check out mentally from the reality of what they're witnessing. Or like what the director says at the very beginning, no one's going to ask for their ticket money back because she's using the wrong gun. Well, I think some people would. Or maybe the idea is they should. Right. Like, do we demand reality in our entertainment or do we not? Of course, this show, Forever Night, can never get too close to reality because one of the police officers is a vampire. <laughs> so, pretty sure that's... And I would say the the more accurate, realistic depictions are attractive to the viewer because as the production quality has improved 
it's like a thing now where if an actor is going to be portraying a cop, there are literally like policies and procedures for doing ride-alongs. Yeah. And and lots of different industries have this stuff like it's available now. Like Tom Cruise is famous for method acting and like at one point he was playing a he was going to be playing a delivery driver. Yeah. And so he literally like got a route I think with FedEx. <laughs> <laughs> he he did it for a little while. Delivering, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, because I and think he worked in a fad f- fast food restaurant for uh, like a few days. I yeah. think we've started demanding reality closer to reality, right? Because we want to feel it more immersed, right? When when more of the representations portrayals in the media are accurate, yeah, it pulls us in. And we can suspend our disbelief about the extraordinary circumstances or like the little things that you just kind of have to say, okay, to make the plot work. Yeah. And the story is more enjoyable. Right. I think so. Because like if you think about Lucifer, which we mentioned earlier, which is actually quite a similar plot to Forever Night, especially considering Lucifer does nothing to hide the fact that he's like the devil. Oh, I think that, of course, the police precinct they work in is not accurate at all. But I think that the way they try to portray how they work, is it accurate? No. Is it, uh, they've bought tickets, they're not in the stadium, they're actually on the field. Yeah. Do we hit a home run every time? No. Is that okay? Yes. I mean, it's that or you just go full on fantasy. Like, we just create a reality because then we don't have to... We don't have to adhere to any right. You don't have rules. to conform to right, like modern reality, right? Which I think is just like we've just veered, right? So television shows that are trying to portray real life have tried to portray real life more accurately. Fantasy has become far more fantastical, so we have diverged completely in the right direction. In the right directions. Yeah, and I think, you know, it'll be fun someday when we come back and put these two together again, like when we reboot Forever Night, which we should do. I think that would be great. I know there's like a thing about reboots, right? Oh, they're going to ruin the original. I mean, no, the original is still going to be there. I can watch it anytime I want to. It didn't actually change the original fundamentally in any way. But I would love to see how we would talk about this in today's language. If the person creating it fundamentally understood what made the show great in the first place? Right. That's what I think is lacking, is what they need to do is bring in fans and be like, what do you like about it? Right. Well, it's like um, I listened to an interview that Brandon Sanderson did. And so for context, for background, um, Robert Jordan was an author that wrote the Wheel of Time series. And uh, he got... It was a uh, blood cancer or something like that, uh, some terminal illness. And so he knew he was going to probably not finish his book series. So he just wrote extensive notes. Uh, his wife was his editor and he finished up to the um, last book. He didn't finish the last book, but he had the like story outlined. And so after he passed away... Uh, Brandon Sanderson wrote a eulogy 
and yeah. he didn't he wasn't like acquainted with them or he didn't deliver it like at a funeral or anything like that. He just posted it on his website, like blog, whatever, and um, like it made the rounds on Twitter and it got seen by a lot of people. And and shortly after that, his agent called and said, "Hey, uh, Harriet uh, saw your eulogy." And she wants to talk to you. And he's like, oh, okay. That like, I'm, I'm glad she got to see that because, you know, it was a really heartfelt eulogy about how impactful the Wheel of Time series and Robert Jordan, like as a writer was on him. And, um, he's glad that it, you know, had reached her at least. And so there was like phone tag where they were trying to call and he was missing the phone or whatever. Yeah. And so he said it, uh, his, his agent left him a message that was like, oh yeah. And yes, it is what you think it is. And so now he's like, <laughs> what? Oh shit. What's going on here? <laughs> and so they, they finally got on the phone. I think he called her and, and she was like, oh, Hey, you know, I, Thank you so much for the eulogy. It was really nice. I really appreciated that. And I'm sure he would have too. And um, oh, yeah. And uh, we're interested in um, you writing the end of the Wheel of Time. And he's like, what? Oh, shit. Uh, (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, yeah, I'm flattered. Um, But no, I don't. I don't think I could do that. And she's like, well, you don't have to answer right now. And so he said he's just like stewed on it. And he, at the end of his, you know, hours thinking about this, he realized that there's, there's a Venn diagram where on one side you have writers. Yeah. Um, who are good enough to do justice to the wheel of time. And then there are fans who are big enough fans to want to do it right. And he said there's a very narrow overlap of authors who could do it and fans who love it enough. And he's one of the few people in that overlap. Yeah. And so he realized if, if you get somebody who's just a really good writer, but they don't know anything about the series, uh, it's not going to be good. No. The the wording and the prose may be good, but it's not going to follow the spirit of the series. Yeah. And if you get somebody who is just the biggest fan, it's just going to be full of fan service that's poorly written. Right. And so he's like, I'm in this narrow overlap on this Venn diagram. So if I've been, if like I'm on the list of people being considered, it's very unlikely that other people on this list are either going to be, you know, are going to be in that overlap region. Right. So I have to do this. Right. I have to do this, not because I want to out of some sense of uh like wanting to be famous or whatever oh yeah clout chasing 
clout chasing. Um, <laughs> I don't want to do this because of clout chasing. In fact, I don't want to do this because I don't want to be seen as clout chasing. Mm-hmm. But I have to do this to make sure it's done right. Can I in good conscience leave this to somebody else? Exactly. Yeah. If I don't do this, how bad is it going to be? Right. And so he contacted her back and he ended up writing the end of the Wheel of Time, which instead of one book, it's three books. But um, <laughs> Three good books, though. Three. Yeah. 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 He he did a really good job writing in the same style, like keep maintaining the same voice of the characters. And I thought he did a great job. Uh, and then at the end, he was like, OK, Herod, like I'm passing this back to you because I don't want to maintain any kind of ownership of this uh, because I don't want to have the temptation of like doing more doing more with it yeah. adding stories to it because going it's full, not going full brian herbert right it's not mine <laughs> um and and he said he later found out that he was harriet's only option <laughs> he was the only one because she knew yeah she knew she knew what she'd he read his out. stuff yeah. she'd like asked around she knew he was a good enough writer to pull it off. And from the eulogy, she knew how sincere of a fan he was of the series. Right. And that he would love it enough to do it right. Yeah. So, yes, to for a reboot or a continuation, you have to get somebody that's in that intersection of a big enough fan to want to do it right, but also a good enough writer, director, right. whatever, to um, actually do it right. Yeah, it's a shame that Forever Night doesn't have the same dedication from the person who created it that Babylon 5 does. And I'm not saying that the people that created Forever Night didn't do a good job, but J. Michael Straczynski is unparalleled in how, how much he has clung to the idea that more can be done with Babylon 5. Because yes. the last major thing that was produced for Babylon 5 was 2007. And he couldn't get any other Babylon 5 projects off the ground. Um, there's some interesting controversy about it. And maybe we'll talk about it someday when we start Babylon 5 podcast. But um, <laughs> that's not a spoiler. We, we all know that's coming. So he just released a movie. And it was a brilliant way of doing it because... It was a live action show. It was a contemporary of Forever Night. And a lot of the actors who were in it have passed away, like a significant number of them have passed away. And the only way to include the whole original cast was to do it as an animated movie. And he did. And initially I was like, hmm, I don't know. I don't. I don't always love animated movies. I don't know. It's just the thing. I don't always love them. But I watched a trailer and I was like in tears watching the trailer. I was like, oh, my God, of course I'm going to watch this. It looks really good. And, you know, what you get from having a writer who is as dedicated to it as that is they don't they they stay with the project. They keep it. They fully understand because that's why they created it, what the fans love about it. They didn't luck into it. It was intentional. And so they can carry that intentionality forward and continue to create things in that universe that have the same feeling, that create the same feeling for the fans. 
And I wish every property had someone like that. Like Forever, of course, Forever Night has its fans, many of whom who have been around for since the very beginning. There's a reason that shows like this live as long as they do. It's not because of the way they portray gang members. Guarantee it. It's this sort of intangibleness, the attractiveness of the idea of a thing that is not human struggling to be human while realizing that the goal itself is flawed and that's okay. And I think if we found somebody who realized that, we could have something pretty magical because we're getting ready to dump. So zombies and vampires come in alternating waves. It's like a really predictable pattern. And we're getting ready, like zombies are on the denouement, which means we're getting ready to get some vampire content, which of course I'm super excited about. But what we need to do is get Forever Night on the wave so we can get, you know, sure it only had three seasons, but it was such an underdog and it got to stick around for three whole seasons. I think we could do something really cool with that premise if we could just get the right people. Yeah, and there's again. obviously interest in the world because I mean, there's this whole podcast where they go, they're going through <laughs> the entire show episode what? by episode. There's a podcast where they're going through it episode by and we, episode. And they have one. listeners. One. There's one of us. <laughs> I think there was another one. There's a couple other that have tackled at least parts of forever night. We're not the only ones who've ever talked about forever night. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that was my soapbox about the importance of a artist, I guess you could say. And, and Who, Who's going to be the Brandon Sanderson for Forever Night? Yeah, that's, the, that's my question. That's a good question. If you're out there, don't contact us. Contact somebody who can actually do something about it. Oh, first resolve the whole writer strike thing. Let's get that figured out. And then let's move on and go ahead and get some cool new stuff written. I'm excited about the outcome of the writer strike. I'm excited yeah, to and see the last one. What happens? The result of the writer's strike, the content that was produced immediately after was all really good. Yeah. I mean, I know people are like, oh, it's why we have so many reality shows, but like we had plenty of reality shows before. Yeah. It's fine. But I know there's there's been a pretty big push for writers and actors to work with independent studios. Yeah. Because I know there's at least one independent studio that SAG after uh is actively working but with. Isn't it A24? They agreed to all yeah. the terms immediately. Yeah. They're like, uh yeah, that yes, sounds perfect. great. Great, let's sure. do it. Yeah. And so they they can still work on stuff without right. um being like strike breakers. Yeah. I mean I think, you know, the writer strike happens in two thousand and eight. If you look at the quality of television shows leading up to two thousand and eight, we're kind of right where we are right now where they were putting stuff out, but none of it was stellar. Right. I mean, it was all right, but it wasn't, like, great. Most of it was not great. I was trying to think of, like, <laughs> is there a television show from the early 2000s that I, like, distinctly remember? Not really. Uh, and so then we... The, on the only show, or the show that Heroes. comes to mind was Heroes. Yeah, Heroes and was pretty fucking good. Heroes was going good, and then it went kind of like... <laughs> and then we found out, oh... Oh, that's because the writer's strike. Yeah, that's the writer's it strike. It went to shit because the writer's strike. Right, so we had the writer's strike... And then when we come back, we get an exponential quality increase yep. in the way television is made and produced and written. 
And I'm hoping we get the same thing because I think right now we're creating a lot of lackluster television shows. I mean, I just watched Good Omens. It was good. Good Omens 2 was really good. It was really good. Was it as complex as the first season? No, not necessarily. But we had like Lord of the Rings, which I didn't even finish. Actually, I think I watched maybe three episodes. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what's the last television show produced by an American studio that I watched start to finish that was made recently. Lucifer, maybe. I did really like Lucifer, but I do like Tom Ellis like a lot. Let's see. Uh, American TV shows. Sense8. Sense8 was fucking Sense8, amazing. Yeah. J. Michael Straczynski. J. Michael Straczynski. <laughs> Would you look at that? <laughs> What do these two things have in common? <laughs> a fabulous writer. Hmm. Although he did write the ninja movie. Ninja Assassin. Ninja. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, we, that's okay, all right. It's fine. It's fine. He wrote a bunch of She-Ra episodes too. And comic books. He's a, yeah. Okay. So we're just going to let, we're going to leave it here. M maybe, maybe J. Michael Straczynski. Is a Forever Night fan. Ooh. Somebody find out. He used to be. So when Babylon 5 was airing, they had forums, Babylon 5 forums, and he was super active on them. It's too bad there's not that same connection now where he can be like, hey, have you ever heard of this little, this television show, Canadian, you know, vampires, cops, that kind of thing. Really cool premise. There's really still cool a lot premise. of, still a lot of material that you could there's make There's so there. much we could do with this now. Ah, okay. I gotta I gotta quit before I get all nostalgic about it. So until next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Uh, what's my line? <laughs>